I'm joined today by Darren Fong. He is a Calgary-based portfolio manager and investment advisor for Acumen Capital. Darren helps run the AccuPure small cap portfolio, which has exceeded its benchmark since inception. Uh, His portfolio has done about 8.58%, while the TSX small cap index has returned 2.62%. That's going back to inception as of looks like 2016. So Darren focuses on Canadian uh, stocks, specifically Canadian small caps. And we wanted to pick his brain just about why we should invest in Canada, what the U.S. investors are missing out if they don't invest, and the intricacies of the Canadian small cap market and what to look out for and kind of how to prepare. So, uh, Darren, without further ado, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Brandon. I'm uh, excited to have this conversation today. So just give us your background, because this is actually our first time speaking. I'm, I mean, we've, we, we've gone back and forth on Twitter, obviously, but give, give us your background, how you got into investing, um, you know, how you ended up at Acumen, and, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so um, finished university, I guess, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, like many other uh, young people, had no idea what I wanted to do. I did do a um, business degree. At a, at a university called University of Lethbridge in uh, Alberta here. And, um, you know, to be honest, this is probably one of the last things that I visualized myself being, but uh, sometimes that's life, right? Um, finished, uh, finished my commerce degree and, and got my security license and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, started investing on my own. In you know, my first investment was like a, a mining stock, some small mining stock in Canada with uh, some binary outcome that didn't quite work out my way. Uh, but in the end, I think that was probably a, a positive for my career to start out like that. Um, started out at a big bank, um, which wasn't a good fit for me whatsoever. Uh, just working with mutual funds and and people's uh, you know smaller uh, IRAs, I guess you would call them in the U.S. Um, and then made my way to Acumen, started out as an assistant, worked my way up, learned the business, um, learned how to pick stocks fundamentally from, uh, from my mentor here, who I've teamed up with. And uh, now, we run a, now we run a pretty sizable book together and um, started this discretionary mandate three years ago. And so uh, we run a small cap, large cap income, um, kind of everything that an investor would need to bolt on to their uh, to their portfolio. Very cool. Now, what led you to your current invest? Or actually, a better question is, what is your investment philosophy now? And and has it always been that way? And 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 if not, you know, how did you how did you evolve as an investor into what you are today? Right. So, uh, just to take a step back in Canada, um, not sure about the U.S., but in Canada we tend to have a very myopic view of the market. Um, and what I mean by that is most of the, most of the economy here is driven by uh, the energy sector. And, and so, you know, everyone's kind of focused on the same things. It's, it's pipelines, it's energy, it's banks. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, it's hard not to, get caught up in that stuff because everyone's kind of looking at the same, same things over and over and over. So our, our process has really expanded to focusing on the fringes of the market in Canada. And what I mean by that is 
we tend to shy away from uh, investments that get talked a lot in the in the media. Um, you know, we tend to not invest in energy as much. We're very much underweight energy actually in Canada, which is one of the reasons why we outperform. Um, so what we look to do is is forget about the eighty percent of the market that everyone's kind of paying attention to and focus on you know, the unique businesses in Canada that no one's really paying attention to. So we've changed the way that we view the market, um, I guess, from a macro perspective. And then from a fundamental perspective, you know, we tend to focus more on return on invested capital, which drives free cash flow. Um, you know, we're not interested in you know, old school valuation metrics like book value or PE, because, you know, they just don't work anymore. EVD, EBITDA is not bad, um, but nothing like good old free cash flow, right? So, you know, earnings can be manipulated. So really we're looking at, um, you know, we're really looking at companies that actually have free cash flow. And to be honest, in Canada, there's actually quite a few small, uh, small cap names that, you know, that actually Hey, Darren, you cut out there. So I'm not sure if you can, if you can hear me, you cut out at small cap names. Uh, we might've lost Darren. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, hey, hey, you back? Oh, we had him back. I wonder if the Canadian snow got to him. Darren, are you still there? Uh, we'll give him a few more seconds before we stop this. Hey, Darren. Hey, sorry about that. Hey, that's fine. I think we might have... Uh, let's see. Yeah, we can start over wherever you want there. There's a ton of, uh, stocks in Canada with a lot of, uh, free cash flow, and, you know, no one's really paying attention to it because everyone's kind of focused on, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever's being talked about on TV. And I think it's a lot like the U S there's, there's very similar traits, but, um, you know, these companies that we own in our portfolio are very unique. Um, to be honest, very boring businesses that um, that are overlooked, and there might only be a couple institutions looking at these names. So, um, I think that's one of our strengths. I mean, we don't, uh, like I said, we don't really focus on energy, which has helped us, and um, we've been able to drive returns um, based on these very unique type of PE. They have a very PE feel to them. You know, when you look at the list of names that we own, it's, um, you know, they probably wouldn't even be public in the U.S. So, um, so yeah, I mean, our that's kind of our process. I mean, it's very fundamentally driven. I mean, return on invested capital is how we view moats. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's fundamentally how we view the market. What led you to the smaller cap space in particular? Because, you know, there's obviously large caps with, with nice return on invested capital. There's large caps that mm -hmm. aren't, you know, that aren't oil and gas. What led you to small caps? So 
uh, Acumen is a small cap uh, or started out as a small cap shop uh, 20 something years ago. So the exposure that we get to the management teams is, um, I would say, you know, unparalleled to maybe in the country. Um, you know, we have access to these management teams that run these very small companies. And um, it's a, I would say, a pretty big advantage for us. Um, so when we look at the market and we say, how can we generate, you know, outsized returns? Um, I think knowing the management is, is a huge piece to that. And to be honest, uh, if you look at the Canadian market as a whole, and this is what going back to being on the fringes, if you go to look at the market as a whole in Canada, the mar the returns haven't been that great. We're a very, um, you know, the the market up here is very much like an emerging market. To be honest, um, we're very sensitive to the U.S. dollar. We our largest export is oil, um, and so. A lot of the companies that we've found to actually generate alpha are in this smaller uh, sub subsector of the market, anywhere between 20 million market cap to um, the, the highest we can go in the portfolios, 3 billion. So um, it's been our experience that focusing on this part of the market has actually generated far better returns even than most large cap in Canada. I think the large cap or the TSX uh, return in Canada is long term might be close to 5%. So if you know if we can clip, uh, you know, like you said, you know, if we can clip 600 basis points higher than that on average, uh, we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, 600 basis points of alpha is a pretty good job regardless of what market you're in. Exactly, um, yeah. yeah. So now with that being said, you you said your small cap or your your market cap range is, you know, we'll call it 20 million on on the low side, 3 billion on the high side. That's obviously yep. in Canadian dollars, correct? Yes. Okay, so, you know, on that 20 million side, I would assume that a lot of those companies you're looking at are in the TSX Venture Exchange. And That's so and so for those that aren't familiar, at least in the U.S., or maybe even investors in Canada that aren't necessarily familiar with the venture exchange, talk to us about that. Um, I know it's a place that I look often for these, you know, Canadian microcaps, but what are the, what are the, you know, interesting differences between like a venture exchange and, you know, an OTC market in the U.S.? Um, well, I don't know what liquidity like is on OTC in the U.S., um, but it's not I good, say, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's not great. So, you know, you on a 20 million market cap company, you're probably looking at 5% liquidity between bid-ask on some of these names, depending on, you know, how small they are. I mean, it dep also depends on who, you know, which institutions are looking at the companies. You know, if there's more institutional interest, then you know, that bid-ass spread might be a little bit less, but, um, you know, the liquidity isn't great. So that's that can be an advantage to uh, an investor in the U.S. looking at this stuff. Um, it is, yeah, it's by far the least liquid market um, that we deal with. Um, so, yeah, I would say, sorry, you might have to cut this part out. 
No, that's fine. I mean, I can hear yeah. you. I can hear okay. you fine. <clears throat> um, yeah, the liquidity isn't great. Um, you know, on the energy side, it might be a little bit more liquid because there's more eyes on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say from an investor standpoint, um, sometimes the only way to get in is through a, a through a secondary offering. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool though because you know there's some research out there like from Roger, um, um, I might butcher his last name Ebitson or Ebotson at least in the U.S. where you know there's there's this illiquidity premium where if you're willing yep. to venture into those illiquid markets, um, it's also yep. what you mentioned earlier more of like a private equity type space in yep. public markets, which leads to that potential alpha advantage that. Yep that that you talked about um what's what's kind of the most attractive thing in your eyes about investing in canada is it because it's an emerging market is it because there's not many people looking or you just think that canada is maybe on the verge of some macro tailwind that people that are outside of that canadian space are missing yeah so i think that's good timing for that question right now because as you can see in the market not just in canada but in the u.s uh, the last little while, there's been a huge bid for value. And energy's got a bid and materials have a bid. So these are all, these. Are, this makes up like 60% of the Canadian market, right? So there's one, you know, one thing that I want to bring to your viewers' attention is how cheap the Canadian small cap energy market is right now. Okay. Um and I'll and I'll take a step back and just maybe explain why. Like obviously, energy has had its troubles everywhere in the world, the U.S. as well. Right. Um, we've had some political issues as well. You would think Canada would be a very safe place to invest, which it is. But um, if if anyone's been kind of paying attention to um, our political situation, it we have a very hard time getting our product to to market. Yeah. And the reason being is the government's not really allowing us to build pipeline to get it to market. So um, we've got, we're basically landlocked and the bigger beneficiaries to this landlock oil is, is actually the refineries in the U S Phillips 66 is just puking cash because of Canadian energy. And um you know, so we sell our oil at this huge discount because we can't get it out. And then we basically buy back refined product at a premium, which doesn't really make much sense. But um, so hedge funds in the U.S. have have exited uh, in a big way and they left maybe right. two or three years ago. Right. Um, you've got major... Uh, major players like Devon and uh, other U.S. players basically selling all their Canadian assets, saying we're done. So it's a left-for-dead industry in Canada, and it's been that way for a couple of years. Now, that being said, that's I could I can see the opportunity starting to um, starting to present itself. And so what you've got is small energy companies in Canada with 20% free cash flow yields. Wow. That's yeah. not bad. <laughs> you know? So now, yeah, you've got now, now you know, is it 
is it is it a matter and sorry and sorry to cut you off but this is just a question yeah. i have because even 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 in u.s oil and gas um i know alex and i at at, at mac Robs, who's who's one of the founders um we go back and forth on you know yes we're bullish on the space and you see a bunch of billionaires here in the u.s like jerry jones sam zell um, yep. Carl Icahn, you know, all these guys that are that are now kind of fishing in these spots where there's blood in the water. But the problem mm-hmm. I have and the problem that I think a lot of other investors have is we don't necessarily know which ones are zeros and which ones are actually going to survive. And so, yep. you know, in light of that, what are you looking for in these certain industries, call it oil and gas, where you might be able to say, you know what, given this company's, whether it's their balance sheet, whether it's, you know, some long-term locked-in deals at certain commodity prices mm-hmm. what are you looking for for you to say you know what this one's going to survive and it's mm-hmm. actually not going to go to zero okay that's a good question um so one of the first things i look for is is production so in canada that didn't used to mean anything i mean you could you could have been a small producer and sell to a big producer and you know everything's hunky-dory but the problem now is there's no capital for take for M and A, right? So, what I look for, um, you know, I think the the sweet spot is kind of over a hundred thousand barrels a day in production. To be honest, got it. Um, if you've got over a hundred thousand barrels per day of production, you have some negotiating power with uh, pipelines for takeaway. If you're less than that, you're probably kind of lower in the pecking order. You might not have as much negotiation power. You might be taking a smaller, uh, you might be getting a, a lower price for your, for your product. So I think a good place to start would be a 100,000 barrel a day company uh, in Canada. And then from there, um, you know, because of all this free cash flow, like who's allocating it properly, right? Right. Um, who's who's buying back their stock? Who is being? Who are doing? Who who's doing the right things? Paying down debt. Um, and so, because I mean, with a twenty five percent free cash flow yield, twenty percent, whatever it is, you should be able to buy back most of your stock in three years. Correct. Two years. Right. So, that's something that I look for is share count, and who is buying back their shares. Uh, but at the same time, not egregiously handing out RSUs. That's something that I look for. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, at capital allocation, I think from there is huge because you can have all the free cash flow in the world, but if you don't do any, if you don't do make the proper decisions, it doesn't really matter. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Now you've got just so we can kind of go off of this as of as of your you know portfolio fact sheet that you sent me you know just for disclosures i want to make sure that you are either still a shareholder or not but you've got tamarack valley energy and you also yep. have perix resources inc those are two in 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 your top 10 holdings and can you just kind of walk us through those ideas and kind of the thesis behind those two oil and gas companies and 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 let us know if you are or are not a shareholder yeah so perix we are a shareholder um, and so the, the, the premise behind Parex is they aren't in Canada. <laughs> it's a Canadian listed, yep. um, company that drills, um, light oil in Colombia. Interesting. Yeah. So this company is got a Canadian management team. They had an opportunity to, um, 
this is years ago. I think this is actually their second iteration. Um, so they know the area well, but they're drilling in Columbia. And so they have great access to tidewater. They, um, the oil fields that they're drilling are um, kind of like the oil fields in North America in like the 70s. They're just drilling verticals and, and getting great economics. Hmm. So they're not fracking. Um, so they're, they're actually getting a pretty decent return on invested capital for the oil industry. And if you take a look at the chart, it's actually held in pretty well. Um, so they generate a ton of free cash flow. They, funny enough, in, in Colombia, it's more friendly. The government's more friendly there to them. Hmm. Um, they don't have a lot of debt, and they're able to create significant shareholder value. So that's the reason why we own that. Tamarack Valley is uh, a sm very small, well, yeah, very small producer in uh, in Alberta and Saskatchewan here. And they are, um, they are, you know, one of the better small cap operators in our mind, um, generating really good free cash flow, um, you know, obsessed about keeping their costs down and, um, you know, really good management team. They started out, you know, as a penny stock and uh, before the oil, before the, the most recent kind of oil correction, I think the stock was five or six bucks. So they've been able to create significant shareholder value. They've been doing acquisitions. They've been doing all the right things. So uh, from a small cap perspective, we like, we like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, just to digress a little bit, the, the large cap names in Canada are like uh, Canadian Natural Resources, for example, which is, um, I, I would say, probably are the, you know, the most attractive large cap energy stock in Canada. 10% free cash flow yield after dividend and capex. Wow. Yep. And um and you know just a just a, a side note these companies in Canada have very little debt. Like we don't lever up our oil companies uh quite as much as as the US. I mean, most of these companies have a couple turns of debt. Mhm. Mm and the large cap ones a little bit more, but you know they're a little bit more integrated. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 an interesting proposition. I mean we've been dealing with this energy downturn for you know five years now, and in especially in uh, in Alberta and Calgary here, it's uh, it's been tough. But um, you know they looked cheap a, a year ago, and then they got halved again. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you love them at five, you'll love them at two and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting place to look. But you're right. I mean, coming from the outside, you got to really know your stuff. But starting at a hundred thousand barrels, looking at free cash flow, um, I think those are two really good places to start looking. You know, trying to trying to make sense of their capital allocation strategy. Um, you know, a lot of these companies pay pretty good dividends too, which hasn't really helped. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think I think on the large cap side and the small cap side, there's opportunity there. So, uh, going back to your question on why invest in Canada right now, 
well, if you're if you're if you believe 2020 is going to be an excellent year for value, and you know you've kind of got that feeling that um, financials will do well, and there there might actually be inflation, then I think Canada's a no-brainer kind of place to be if you want exposure to that kind of stuff. I completely agree. Um, I'm finding yeah. a lot of interesting names in 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 the venture exchange, and one of my one of one of the questions that I've always had, and and you know that's why I'm so glad I got to get you on, is you know talk to somebody that's chatted with Canadian management companies and 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 really got to know kind of how management companies do things culturally up in Canada. And my question is, you know, is is there anything different or maybe anything? Um, eclectic that Canadian management teams do that might be different than than U.S. management teams. Like, for instance, um, in European countries and 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 in European stocks, um, there's definitely more of a drive towards you know returning capital via dividends and almost making yeah. dividends like mandatory. But is yeah. is 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 there anything that Canadian management teams do differently, maybe better, maybe worse than you know U.S. Um, cousins? I'd say di- we're dividend crazy up here. Yeah, I'd say to a detriment sometimes. Um, nothing, nothing wrong with a good dividend, but um, you know, all of our com- all of the every large cap you can find, all, will pay some form of dividend. Um, and I think that's just the culture up here, like you say, like mm-hmm. in Europe, that's kind of the same way. But you know, um, going back to the energy example. Like, I don't, it, you know, if us, I don't, I don't really understand why a small energy company would pay a dividend. Right. Especially in this market. Like it doesn't, that doesn't really make sense to me, but they think that the market, that's what, that's what the market wants. So I think that a lot of, um, and, and maybe it's by, maybe it's because of the demand of, of the stockholder that they want this dividend and it's just the culture here, but um, you know, I don't know if, well, I know for a fact that buybacks aren't as big here as they are in the U S they're just not even close to the same degree. Yeah. And I was actually just about to, I was just about to chat about that because one of my, one of my questions, and you know, this is more of a tax related question. So, you know, if you don't have the answer, obviously that's, that's fine. But you know, in the U S the one detriment about dividends is obviously this effect of double taxation where mm-hmm. you know you're 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 being taxed on the net income and then and then and then if you get a dividend you're also being taxed on that and that's why buybacks are so attractive because it's way yeah. more tax efficient for the investor is are there are there similar rules in Canada in terms of the taxation on dividends um so i have a partial answer to that question perfect um so basically and I don't know, I'd have to check. I'm not sure if this applies to an American because I know that when we get a dividend, it's just taxed as, when we get an, a, a U.S. dividend, it's just taxed as income. Right. Right? So here you get what's called a dividend tax credit. Interesting. And so, yeah, dividend tax credit, you guys can look it up. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Yeah. But um, you basically get a tax deduction um, for investing in a company that pays a dividend, and I think it's like, I think it's like nineteen percent instead okay. of a full income tax. Interesting. So yeah, it, there is there is a dividend tax credit, um, 
and and I think that's maybe that's part partially why people drift to dividends. Yeah, you know, I think maybe it's for, they look at it from the tax perspective and say, okay, well, I can invest in income or I can invest in dividends or or you know, or I can have a company not pay a dividend and and buy stock back. So, um, you know, that could be potentially one of the reasons why. Um, why buybacks aren't a thing, but I do know also that, um, and I'm not sure what the rules are in the U.S. about this because all you know, all you hear is about al- how much stock Apple's buying back. But yeah, um, we can only, uh, you know, this a company can only buy so much stock back in a year. I think in Canada, I can't remember what the percentage is, but um, there's caps, and I think you can get those caps extended, but. Um, you know, you got to go through the regulatory process of of refiling your your uh, your buyback program if you you know if you go over five percent or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, just obviously for the disclaimer, none of us here are accountants, nor do we you know no. portray ones on TV. So this definitely isn't tax yeah. advice by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but that, yeah, this but, is not but, tax advice. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. But but that is interesting yeah. because I did not know in terms of you know the dividend tax credit. Um, yeah definitely be a leading driver for why so many companies just opt for the dividend um, yeah yeah that's, yeah and that's... we have we also have income trusts here as well that are mostly like um i guess 80 percent of them would be in the REIT space yeah but uh yeah like in canada everyone lo- everyone loves their dividends that's the first question and if it's i've had i have clients who who are like, well, if it doesn't pay a dividend, I don't want it. It's like that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, you see that. You see that a lot. I used to work at an investment, uh, small RIA firm, and you know, you would have yeah. clients call in, and they would just say, "All I care about is my dividends." And yeah. you would have clients that call in, they're like, "This stock has a twenty percent dividend. Why aren't we buying?" And it's like, "Well, twenty <laughs> percent because the stock has tanked eighty percent over the last year." <laughs> yeah, and that dividend's gonna get cut like any minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, yeah. I. I, I, I definitely digress, but I want to I want to move back more towards your AccuPure small cap portfolio. Um, sure. Just kind of how you construct it. I see here that you kind of evaluate your top 25, 30 ideas. So, you know, it's not it's not super concentrated, but in a sense, mm-hmm. like if I'm looking, your top 10 holdings make up about 54 percent of your overall portfolio as of yep. the date of the stack sheet. So, you know, there is an element of of concentration and it looks like most of your stocks, most of your companies fall into the technology and consumer discretionary. And is yeah. that, you know, let's let's kind of take out oil and gas because that's almost the elephant in the room in terms of valuation. Like we know that that's cheap. We get yeah. it. Um you know, where else are you looking for things that 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 you think are cheap and maybe not, you know, myopically cheap, but you know, there's a long runway tech, for instance, like, you know, there's just a really fast growing tech company that you think is super cheap looking out five years. Right. As, a, uh, as an example, like an yeah, well, actual yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. Like an actual name. Like, for instance, like your biggest holding right now is Sangoma Technologies. And so, yeah. you know, if you just want to chat about that whole thesis and kind of what you see in the technology space. Right. So the Canadian technology sector is um, it's very small, right? There's not a lot of players. There's, um, you know, like I was saying before with the bifurcated market, like no one, everyone's paying attention to, you know, um, large cap and energy and banks. And so tech kind of, you know, there's some pretty big tech names that come out of Canada. I mean, Shopify is Canadian. Um, 
uh, Constellation Software is Canadian. And these are great compounders. Um, you know, we, Sangoma in particular is an interesting business because it's not, again, it's not super sexy. It's, they do um, hardware for small, medium-sized businesses that uh, for, for VoIP phones and unified communications within a corporation. So hmm. it's kind of, um, you know, it's not, well, they do have a little bit of cloud, but it's not uh, your typical tech company, I guess, by definition, it's kind of old school, but right. they are rolling up a fragmented industry. Um, you know, their last acquisition, they paid one-time sales. Wow. Yeah. That's and not a bad so, deal. That's not bad. Yeah. And and th the, the beautiful thing is that company that they bought was just starting to hit inflection on positive EBITDA. Yeah. Which is the best time to buy a company, of course. Right. 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 And so, um, yeah, it's a boring company. It It's kind of, you know, it's an older technology. And, um, you know, they're going to start bolting on some some higher you know, some, some higher margin stuff, some cloud stuff and the internet of things, and they've got plans, but right now they're kind of consolidating that unified communications business, um, in, in Canada and the U S so, um, you know, it's, it's cheap in the sense that they have a lot of growth. I mean, their forward, their forward, um, valuation looks pretty good. I, I think it's trading at like maybe eight times EV to EBITDA at the moment. Okay. So, um, for a tech for, well, if you want to call it that for a tech company, that's pretty good. Um, so that's just one example of our tech industry up here. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, some decent, I'd say a big tech company in Canada would be like 10 billion market cap. Got it. Right. So there's a lot of opportunity. And the thing is like, um, you know, there's a lot of free cash flow in these businesses and, they just kind of get forgotten and, and they're duly listed too. I mean, uh, for example, open text, if you want to, if your li uh, listeners want to take a look at one open text is duly listed and, um, are you a shareholder in that? We own, we own it in our large cap. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's duly listed. Um, you know, it's, it's small, it's, uh, it's nimble. It does acquisitions at really accretive valuations. It trades at like sub ten times EBD EBITDA. So and, the tech and what's and what's what's the ticker for that? OTEX. Got it. Yeah. And it's been a it's been a wonderful compounder. Very it's nice. really done well. They've got a great management team. Management teams get spun out of open text and start new things and 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 go on to succeed as well so um so yeah it's a it's an interesting space the tech sector in canada it's um like i said even canadians it's under owned like you know mm -hmm. most canadians wouldn't even to be honest a lot of people in the industry kind of don't even really pay attention to this stuff so i think that's the opportunity right the fringes is yeah. where the the where the returns are and if you can focus on those fringes, um, you know, I think I think 
well, at least that's our strategy. I mean, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, and it's 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 focusing on the fringes with a with a specific framework that helps you. I mean, it's not it's not not a bulletproof strategy, but you know, if nope. you focus on the fringes with a framework that that keeps you, um, you know, looking at companies that fit a criteria that you know over time should do well, whether it's you know a value or you know really solid balance sheet, because at yep. the fringes you obviously get some of these. Mm-hmm. companies that go to zero but you know that's obviously yeah. the risk you take when you step out on the fringe yeah now now what would happen or what would need to happen in a business you know whether it's the company or whether it's the stock price like when do you decide to get out um on 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 the downside let's save the upside for itself you know right because that because that takes care of itself but like on the downside if you're wrong um how do you know when to get out of a position and how do you know maybe when to buy more if the stock drops right so uh first off when we make when we make a position um unless it's a very traditional business that is kind of more predictable we don't you know we started Sangoma started out as a one and a half percent position I think or one right so we kind of weighed in right and we want what we do is we actually we actually add to the position as the management executes. So um, as they as they execute their strategy, we'll buy more and it'll sell off, we'll buy more. And, and so I guess the answer to your question on the downside, I mean, there would have to be fundamentally something wrong with the story itself that we would be concerned about. Or if there's competition coming, um, or, you know, management turnover or, you know, excessive RSUs, uh, issuing that type of thing. I mean, we'd have to have something fundamentally wrong with the story. Um, and then we would take a look at selling it. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah. no, that, 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 that seems to kind of be, to kind of be the theme. Um, now <laughs> What do you think you do in your process that maybe differentiate yourself from other, you know, we'll call it Canadian investors or or, or even U.S. Mm-hmm. investors? Is there is there anything you look at, whether it's your balance, you know, whether it's your analysis, whether it's, um, you know, part of your due diligence process? What do you think you do differently? Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> like I said, in Canada, it's easy to stick to the household names, right? Like the, mm-hmm. you know, the large cap. Um, the large cap names. So when we view the portfolio, um, we do view it as, as a, especially the small cap because it has a PE feel to it. We, we view it as a collection of investments, long-term investments, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they're very boring businesses. We, you know, the boring, the more boring, the better, I guess. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, just to give, I'm not. Uh, just to give you a couple examples, like we we like this company. Um, it's uh, it's the it's one of the leaders in the death care space. Interesting. Like right? like uh, is it is it like nursing homes or funeral homes kind funeral of funeral homes? Interesting. Right. So yeah. it business doesn't really get away. more boring. <laughs> What's that? So that business isn't going away anytime soon. No, no. There's some tailwinds there, right? <laughs> Um, but it, uh, so, I mean, it's, you can't really get more boring than that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it does trade at a, at a premium valuation, but 
from a traditional sense, you know, EV to EBITDA, but like, you know, their returns are fantastic. Yeah. And um, so that's just one example, like boring business. Number two is uh, paper shredding. Yeah. Wow. Right. So it's, you know, there are some headwinds there. Obviously, mm-hmm. we understand that. Um, but I, I, it's not going to disappear tomorrow. And uh, great returns on capital. Uh, we understand the business. And so, like, you know, it's a small business. I mean, uh, they might do $5 million in EBITDA. I can't, I can't remember what the number is. But, um, you know, these little collection of businesses that we have um, has got you know, it's, it's almost like it has to fit in with the existing businesses. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, it's like, does this fit with what we're trying to do? Um, you know, boring, predictable types of businesses um, that's flying under the radar that, that no one's really paying attention to. And then once they get a lot bigger, then the banks start paying attention. And then that's when you that's when some of these things really take off. Got it. Got it. Yeah. What what kind of resources? So, you know, you talked about kind of how you went to university and then and then and then had an investment background. What what resources, whether it was books, um, lectures, what what helped you shape your value investing identity? Was it, you know, the classic intelligent investor? You can be a stock market genius or were there, you know, some some interesting, um, you know, maybe non-traditional books that you found valuable? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I read all that stuff. Uh, traditional value and, you know, how Buffett could buy companies for less than cash on the balance sheet in the 70s. And, you know, that stuff obviously doesn't exist anymore. So the shift has kind of been, you know, on the return on invested capital side, I mean, you know, I think the guy, I think the the person that got me really interested or got me to do more digging uh, on that is Michael Malbison. Mm, Okay. Yep. And so he's, you know, I read, I try and read everything that he puts out. I haven't read his books more, but like his papers. Yeah. And and so he's kind of he's been kind of at least for me the driving force behind the way that I view value. And um you know kind of the way that our firm views value as well. I can say like we're a very return on invested capital mindset. You know, that's our mindset. Um, so on a, on the value side, I, you know, I think he's, um, been a driving force behind the way that we view value. And what I, what I, what I like the most, you know, just before, before you go into, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe another book or something, but, um, you know, what I really like about, about, uh, you know, Mobison's work is that in terms of return on invested capital, when he talks about how there's this reversion to the mean aspect of return on invested capital, I think that's so important for people to understand because, you know, obviously I'm, 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 I'm almost beating a dead horse at this point because, because he's talked about it so much, but if you invest in a high return on invested capital business over time, that reversion to the mean is actually going to reduce that return. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just basic microeconomics, new business comes in to drive those returns down. So it's so interesting when you pair it with the oil and gas industry where return on invested capital right now is is, is very poor, but you've got higher cash flow yield. So over time, if 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 that thesis is correct, those return on invested capital will actually revert upwards to the mean. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly the way that we view it. And, um, you know, 
the and that's why I mean there's no there's no um barriers to entry in the oil business I mean other than technical knowledge right um and that's why the returns are so low but you do have these wild you know I would say over the long term if you can if you can or a management team can um keep their return on invested capital at a very steady high rate that's very rare right yes um yeah. So then you get these wild swings in return on invested capital. And so, you know, the returns in the energy business have been not great for a decade. So, you know, maybe maybe that's the opportunity, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, switching sw switching gears a little bit. Um, what is, you know, what is one of the worst investments that you've ever made? And and, you know, what did you what did you learn? Right. Because we obviously learn more from our mistakes. Um, yeah. What was what was what was the biggest one that you've made? Was it early on? Was it was it recent? You know, and and, and kind of take us through your mindset. Yeah. yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I can, I know exactly. So, with I'm not going to name the name of the company, but yeah, that's uh, fine. Yeah. So uh, there was a there was a um, well, it's not it wasn't a spac. Well, do you get you guys have big spacs down there? But like we have these small kind of. Uh, CPC corporation kind of blind okay. pools. Yeah. And um and there was a there was a guy who was going to sell a business in Alberta, an an energy related business. And everything looked awesome. You know, um he'd built this thing from the ground up. Um he had all the right relationships. At the time energy was was doing really well. And um and the management team that was going to take him out had a very good track record as well. We were we know we knew them very well. Mm. And the guy selling the business backed out. And and so as a as a SPAC or a, a CPC in Canada, they were still looking for an acquisition, right? Right. Right. So they were looking for that acquisition to take public, grow the business, you know, whatever get have it be taken out down the road you know whatever they want whatever their strategic plan was anyways um they ended up buying another business and for some reason i loved it so i loved it just as much as the other business but i knew it wasn't as good hell oh, why 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 was that it just wasn't a, it just wasn't i just had a weird like it was uh it wasn't as quality the the quality of the business wasn't there yeah um but you still loved it just as much. I still loved it just as much. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so from a behavioral standpoint, like, you know, what the hell was I thinking? Right. Um, and I think about that, that particular investment all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's been really beneficial for me because it just shows you you know, just because, uh, you know, I guess obviously never to fall in love with an investment, especially when the the strategy completely changes and it's a different management. <laughs> completely like, different business. Completely different business. Um, so there's a lot of things going. I think there was a lot of things going on uh, in my head uh, about that particular investment. And I'm not, uh, you know, and and I think, you know, honestly, like you said, I mean, you got to make these mistakes, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's, I, that sticks out in my mind is something that not only was a mistake, but it was like, you know, a f complete 
palm in the face type of moment. Right. Yeah, and it, it's actually funny you mentioned Spax because a Spac has been arguably well, not arguably, it has been my worst performer of 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 the year. Um, yeah. Spacs are. <laughs> I remember I posted a write up on on the company on um on like this forum online, and someone shot back and you know he basically said Spacs are piles of garbage that are like dumpster fires piles of garbage and i was like well you know he's got a point but for some reason i still look at them and so it's in and and so it's interesting because i haven't heard of this this the the cpc so so really you know to kind of scratch my own itch what is a cpc i mean i know it's kind of the equivalent of a spac here in the u.s but what Mm -hmm. is a cpc and for those that really don't know any of the dynamics of whether it's spacs or cpcs can you kind of give us a background on that yeah, so a CPC is basically um, it's a very it's just a very small version of a SPAC. So management company will go put together like a couple million bucks, and um, and will basically go hunting for um, an acquisition. But these, you know, I think SPACs in the U.S. can get quite large compared to. Um, a CPC in Canada, like, I mean, um, we do have, we've had the odds bigger one, like multi-billion size SPAC, but um, most of these CPCs, you know, these guys are raising five or 10 million bucks. Okay. So just kind of right off the bat, right off the bat. It's a micro cap. Um, The management team that's running it could are a lot of times also micro cap, but also there are some instances where you get a, you know, a, a really quality management team in there. Right. Um, you know, so it's like, a it's a, it's a small blind pool and, uh, you know, most of them don't work out. Where can, where can people go to find more info about CPCs or like, you know, when, when, when they become public? Cause I know like in the U S I can just search, you know, recent spec IPOs or, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain forms I can file, um, or I can, I can search for where, where can we do that for CPCs? To be honest, I have, I have to get you that info. Um, okay. yeah, that's I'm fine. not really too sure at this point. Cause I mean, we are in the, I'm in the industry, so I hear about these things, yeah. you know, you get presidents lists and like, you know, oh, I know this guy who's raising, you know, some money and, and so it kind of, to be honest in Canada, it kind of work. it's kind of a word of mouth thing. Right. It's kind of like right. a, you know, it's an industry thing. It's if you're a family member and. Uh, and you're on the president's list type of thing. It's uh, it's not really that well documented. The SPAC, like when we do get a SPAC, it's pretty well documented because all the uh, all the large banks are. Um, B uh, or RBC would be on the, um, you know, they'd send you a green sheet and a slide deck and all that stuff. And you you basically buy into this management's vision of an asset that doesn't exist yet. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I might I might just try googling like CPC companies or something see, you know, just kind of just to go down my own rabbit hole, see if I can find yeah. anything. Because yeah, you know, there, I mean there's there's a lot of them. <laughs> they 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 always pop up. Yeah. Um the market's been tougher. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm so- having I'm having so much fun losing money in American SPACs that I just want to <laughs> take it abroad. And lose you just money. want to buy something a little bit more speculative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not enough for me to lose money in the traditional U.S. spec way. I got to go international, yeah. Canadian, and lose money in a CPC. That's exactly. Cool. 
That's in Canadian gonna, dollars. In Canadian dollars. That's going to tickle my fancy for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, well, cool. So, you know, we're kind of wrapping up right now. Um, I've learned a lot and, 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 and I know others are really going to get a lot out of this because as someone that doesn't invest in Canadian stocks all too often, I'm always looking for ways to gain knowledge. And mm-hmm. so, you know, with that being said, a question I ask every guest on the show is if you could have dinner with one person, whether it's past or present, it doesn't have to be financial related. We've had, um, you know, Joel Greenblatt's been one, Warren Buffett's been one, and mm-hmm. we've had Albert Einstein was our most recent one, which I thought was fun. So if you could have dinner with anybody past or present, who would it be and why? Um, geez, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to say Bruce Lee. Oh, I like I love that. Alex at Macrops is a big Bruce Lee fan, so, he, so he's really gonna yeah. he's really gonna love that. Be like water, be like water. Yeah, I just I like I was I really well I still am I, but I used to um, you know I used to I used to be I have Bruce Lee's you know I can't remember what it is. It's like a bunch of um collections of all his work because he's a you know philosopher and everything. Yeah. Um. He, I just used to be obsessed with Bruce Lee and, and I just think he's, you know, one of the coolest, one of the coolest uh, people to ever live. And he just lived a very unique life and uh, was very smart and very in tune with himself. And um, I think he would be, I think he would be an extremely interesting person to sit down with. Yeah. It's almost like it's Chuck Norris meets Dalai Lama sort of. Yeah. It's something like that. Hybrid fusion. It'd be a weird energy, I think, but it would be like, you know, it'd be, it'd be like, yeah, it would, it would be, um, it would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that answer. And, you know, it's, 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 it's one we haven't seen. And so I definitely need to brush up on some of my Bruce Lee philosophy. Um, yeah. I've been spending a lot of time on Marcus Aurelius and all the stoicism yeah. stuff. And uh, then bring it and then parallel it to the market. Yeah, and then parallel it to the market exactly. So that's yeah. actually probably a great idea for uh, for a longer form write up that I'll do. Um, but yep. you know, Dar- Darren, Darren, Darren. So you know, I had a blast. Um, I think others are really going to enjoy it. Like I said, where can people find you? I know that we we met on Twitter. So mm-hmm. um, you know, where where can people go if they want to follow you and kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit more? Yeah. So uh, my Twitter handle is at uh, dsunfong. Uh, on on Twitter, and then um, you can always go to the website and hit me up with an email if you want. So it's acumencapital.com. And um, yeah, I look forward to if anyone want, has any questions or wants to pick my brain, I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, Darren, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brandon.